There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Gabby Roslin Podcast. Hello, Gabby Roslin here. Thank you so much for listening. What a lovely time I had chatting to the supremely talented actress Olivia Williams. We chat all about her incredible career from the film The Father, working with Sir Anthony Hopkins, to the TV series The Nevers, and her upcoming UK version of one of my favourite series called Call My Agent. Plus, an amazing story about working with Kevin Costner in his film The Postman, back in the 1990s. Also, being a part of the phenomenally successful film The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis. And she talks about when she was in Friends. Remember that? We giggle about her snogging every 80s sexy actor and how short they all are. Plus, she talks very openly and positively about her incredible survival from pancreatic cancer and the vital work she does for the charity Pancreatic Cancer UK. And we'll put a link for that charity for you to donate in the episode description. Hope you enjoy listening to this incredible woman as much as I did chatting to her. I am hugely thankful that this episode is sponsored by one of my favourite companies, Simprove. It's a food supplement containing live and active bacteria, which has done wonders for both mine and my family's health. More information at simprove.com with discount code GABY15 for 15% off the 12-week programme. I'll tell you more about them later. Please can I ask you a favour? Would you mind, please, following and subscribing by pressing the follow or subscribe button on the show? Now, I have to tell you, this really honestly does not cost any money. It's completely free. And then if you wouldn't mind, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. You simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes and you'll see the stars where you can tap to rate and press write a review. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much. there's so much that I want to talk to you about and there's so many things that I know you're not going to say but I might just ask you anyway to do with um Kevin Costner and Bruce Willis but we'll go there later (laughs) I have to it'd be weird if I didn't um you are such an incredible actress that at the same time that you made me weep with the father recently you also made me sit on my sofa with my jaw on the floor thinking, what on earth am I watching when it came to the Nevers? I mean, it's incredible. So I don't know where I'm going to start. I think I'm going to start with the, with the father. Congratulations. What a film. What a film. Yeah. Yes. I, it's, I don't come over all modest when I, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but when you say what a film, I agree with you. What a film. Um, because I, I'm very proud of it and I love the final product and uh, I I loved it when it it was a play I read it on paper with no actors involved just just the writing on the on the paper uh, elicited a vast emotional response in me um, I couldn't do the play but I I said to uh, the translator and adapter um, Christopher Hampton if anything ever happens to this and it becomes anything else either transfers or or 
um, becomes a movie or or a television film or anything, I, I'll come and make the tea. I just want to be involved. And this never happens, Gabby. I swear to you, it never happens when they did make it into a movie. They came back to me, which was just amazing. So you were, they, they had you in mind from the very beginning? Not the very beginning. The very beginning, it was a play on stage in France. And uh, so they didn't have me in mind then. But no, when sorry, it I came, mean, yeah, from the UK. <laughs> yeah, but when it came to England and... Uh, I, I don't know how many other people they sent it to and uh, an amazing cast did it as a play in London. Um, so I don't, I, and in Bath, I think, but so I don't know at what stage of that I was, I got to read the script, but um, I wasn't available and I, I wanted to be in it so much and couldn't be. And it was, I, I never forgot it. It kept going round my head. Uh, as you um, said, when we've spoken about it before, you know, that, it just doesn't leave you and it didn't leave me even in text form you know even on paper it didn't leave me um so to see it so realized by the extraordinary um other actors we had you know each of whom was just pitch perfect um it you know i love um imogen poot's uh performance she plays one of the other carers in in the show and she's got this wonderful open wide smiling joyful face that as it appears that Anthony Hopkins is not well and and um, her face just falls in, in this sort of heartbreaking realization that some of us may have experienced as we realize our loved ones are suffering from dementia. What it does is how it plays with time and then it plays with your emotion but not in a cruel way I mean it's I mean, I haven't stopped thinking about it. It's one of the very few films that stays with you, but really seems to affect you. I mean, I was very lucky because I saw it early on because I um, remember interviewing the cast and the producer about it when it before it came out. And so I sat at home and watched it with my husband and we both were floored and we talk about it. It's as if it was a part of our life. It's quite incredible. And and we can't, I mean, you were sensational in it, but I am a super fan. So there we go. I've said it now. There it's out there. But But Anthony Hopkins, goodness me. I mean... Yeah. Oh, he pulls every heartstring. He makes you laugh. You cry. He's isn't he incredible? Wow, he is. He is, and and just to you know, you meet an icon and someone who you know. I've listened to his voice and and watched him work. You know, I remember at drama school, he was a cult figure for us, and it's just it is a joy when you turn up on set and that person is as extraordinary as they are as you hope they would be and then and then add a bit you know there's the personal thing of we we had this incredibly difficult scene where we had to discuss a chicken uh, and whether or not a man had a chicken or didn't have a chicken and we had to say chicken about 74 <laughs> times at various points and after about three chickens I had to interrupt his chicken and then after <laughs> I said about seven he had to interrupt and we rehearsed that scene in his dressing room about four hours unbroken chicken repetitions <laughs> and by the end of it we were in pieces we were both laughing hysterically and weeping because we weren't going to get it right and so whenever I watch that scene which is incredibly distressing but also funny at the same time because these are these are crazy conversations you find yourself having there isn't a man with a chicken um and the the the, the compassion of the piece that uh, that that sees that situation as both absurd and life-changing for someone. They, they're holding on to every piece of reality. And in that moment, the reality is for him is the yes. chicken. Yes. I actually, that's one of those scenes that, I, that is in my head that has stayed in my heart. But now you've said that, yeah. that sort of gives it even another level that, that, that you two went like that I mean he I, I imagine him now I know you you uh, you're very averse to social media and I can understand that uh I think I'm not averse Gabby the truth is that or I know people say oh you you must not suffer from FOMO it's because I have the worst FOMO in the world it's because if I went on social media we wouldn't be able to have this conversation because I'd be hang on hang on I've just got another few tunnels to go down before <laughs> I can emerge I would be the worst social media addict 
if I had any access to it at all. And that is why it's not because I'm holier than thou and I've got a big shiny halo. It's because I'm the lowest form of addict and I couldn't have it because I wouldn't function. Oh, that's very honest anyway, of you. you go, no, that's very honest of <laughs> yes. you. Yes. But I have to say that Anthony Hopkins' um, Instagram is a joy. So if anybody ever lets you just look over their shoulder when it's not on your phone or your computer, so you can't go back again, he's a joy. He's a joy in every single word. Wait, he, he's one of those people that I've always wanted to interview because I wanted to sit there because I imagine that he's a, a has this wicked sense of humor and loves a giggle he does he's got he's got this which you see in the father he's got this light in his eyes it's, he's mischievous that's my word for him he's mischievous and he is a mimic and so you know no, nothing and nobody is is safe and and he's a sort of a, a real lateral thinker he just goes out um you know at, at extraordinary angles um, it's not that sort of sitting down and going. And then in 1974, <laughs> you know, which can which can drag a little actors. And I'd actually do it. I'm one of the worst offenders of that. Um, but he, no, it's all there. And the fact that he's got an Instagram, whatever you have account uh, at all, is you know miraculous to me. And millions of followers. Um, and so the father, everyone has to see. I mean, any way that they can. But but so back to to the nevers. So those are the two things. That I've seen you in most recently and the nevers is it's sort of unexplainable it's superheroes in Victorian times but there's sex and there's 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 violence like you've never seen and this extraordinary cast and you think you're watching one it does your head in because you think you're watching one thing you're seeing all these uh, gentlemen round the table, um, like old, old sort of Tories, and they're all discussing what's going on in Victorian mm. life. And then all hell breaks loose, and there's superpowers, and there's super fit humans, there's extraordinary powers. Then there's you, maybe not what people first imagine you to be. And then there's sex, and there's debauchery it's sort of like everyone's fantasy that they think that they don't want or need but once they start they're not going to get out of that one they're just going to stay with it I mean it's it's everything I'm so pleased that you said all those things and and the, and the word that and then their sex came up. I hope you're aware, Gabby, three or four times in that <laughs> sentence. Um, but um, and then there's sex. Uh, but it's uh, no, it's uh, it is all those things. The the sort of postage stamp pitch is uh, Victorian superheroes. You know, if people have been having these powers. Uh, since the 1950s when the Marvel comics started. I may have got my dates wrong. I'm not an expert. <laughs> this has the premise that if you had special powers in Victorian times, what would happen to you? And if you had special powers and you were a woman, what would happen to you? And the answer is you'd probably be stuck in some weird asylum for people who are different, diverse or misunderstood. And uh, and we work it from there. And uh, it goes into some really deep psychological studies of you know, one character, Malady, who who's who's special um, uh, superhero powers have sort of turned in on themselves and turned her uh, into a, a really, really dark psychological power of evil. Um, but it's as much to do with how she's treated by society as to do with her powers. So there are some very, very serious um, sociological and historical reflections to be made from this wacky show that's as much about inventions and, and steampunk London as it is about uh, about social change. I, I found myself quoting it the other day. I'm getting it terribly confused. Really? Yes. I suddenly said, oh, no, but I, and it was a quote. I don't want to give anything away, but it was a quote about something quite big in it. And and then and then I was really embarrassed. And I said, oh, my God, that's the nevers. That's that's not the news that I, <laughs> I It was very embarrassing. I shouldn't actually admit it, but I did. I got it all confused with our with our government and what they said and realised I was quoting the nevers. <laughs> But it does have that kind of thing. You know, if I listen to a very interesting programme on Radio 4, which is the fount of all truth, as far as I know, um, the, about about migraine. And it, it was saying that 
one of the reasons so little research has been done about migraine is because it tended to be suffered on the whole by women and tend to get worse when they were menstruating. And so, you know, we ask ourselves, why was no research done about migraine, um, you know, in nothing known about it until recently? And that's because all the doctors at the time were men and um, they just put it down to their their wives, mothers, daughters, housemaid, um, having bad headache or, or being of a nervous condition. And uh, it's only now that we're looking back and going, how did we treat these people if they were women and they were different? Um, and the answer is we locked them up. Yes. And, um, yes. So it's an interesting it's it's an interesting premise. It's like how did we treat difference and diversity um, in another age? But then it's also a fantasy, and it's you know it's Joss Whedon's extraordinary brain. It's got parallel universes and time jumps and 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 huge elements of sci-fi. Beautiful beautiful visual effects. You oh, know, there's bonfire Annie who carries fire in her hands and. And then don't get me started on Michelle Clapton and the costumes. I mean, my character purely exists really in costume. When you take the costume off, I can't do the character at all. Um, I, my 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 characterization is entirely contained within my corset. No, you're an actress. You could do anything with anything. I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe it's all done through a corset. <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty severe corset because my character has a kind of um, spinal condition so we decided that the corset is actually what's um holding her upright which um are you being serious which, yeah yeah we decided that that uh that you know she my character is in a wheelchair which is a uh, um has been another education for me of uh learning about disability politics the hard way um, when you realise that your the set has been built so that your chair doesn't go through a door. Ah, um, yes. And um, we had a scene outside where um, at a funeral we were all supposed to step forward um, and and throw rose petals onto the coffin. But um, my, my wheelchair got stuck in the mud, so that bit got cut. And you just go, oh, OK, that's how disability politics work in the workplace. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's it's you know journey of discovery um my job is amazing for that and the only sort of cruelty is or you know the that i'm very lucky that i get to stand up and walk away from that situation and but it made me uh, have an inkling of what it's like when you can't. Now, as promised, I'd like to tell you more about our fantastic sponsor of this episode, Simprove. I love telling everyone about this company and I've been raving about them for years before we ever started working together. I love them so much. Now, it's a food supplement containing live and active bacteria to support gut health and a balanced microbiome. The reason it's different to others you might have tried is that it's unique. It's water-based, which means that this quickly travels straight to your gut to thrive and multiply. They're a family-run brand produced on a lovely farm in the Surrey Hills and they're proud of their heritage and evidence-based product. I've been to the farm, it's a great place. It's gluten-free, dairy-free, suitable for vegetarians or vegans and comes in two flavours. So there's the regular or there's the mango and passion fruit, which is the one I take and love. It's available as a subscription or start with an introductory 12-week programme. You drink it in the morning before any food or drink and wait 10 minutes, which I love because in that 10 minutes, yes, I do some squats, I do some press-ups and I annoy the family. The gut has an incredibly strong connection to the brain. When you sort your gut out, your general health just feels so much better. For more information, visit the Simprove website. That's simprove.com, spelt S-Y-M-P-R-O-V-E.com. We have an exclusive discount just for listeners of this podcast. Get 15% off the 12-week program by entering this promo code when you're at the checkout. It's G-A-B-Y 15. That's Gabby15 for new customers in the UK. And they also have a helpful customer care team and we'll put their phone number in this episode description. So we were talking about Anthony Hopkins and I'm really sorry that I have to go there, but it would be so remiss. We're going to talk about Call My Agent, which I'm obsessed with in a moment. But um, we have to go backwards. <laughs> we just have to go to Bruce Willis and Kevin Costner only because... 
I had a dream about Kevin Costner the night before I was going to interview him and I was too embarrassed to go and do the interview after the dream I'd had. Was Kevin Costner <laughs> like my dream? And I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. I'm imagining. Um, we got on very well. It was, I don't know how many of your listeners were even alive then. But anyway, take yourself back in imagination to uh, the the 90s and Kevin Costner had made and won Oscars for Dances with Wolves. And um, he'd been unbelievably um, attractive. I don't want to objectify him in um, No Way Out. And he'd made Waterworld, which had been a memorable um, money loser and flop, allegedly. Anyway, and I was just starting out. Um, I've, I've been acting for eight years, but I, I hadn't done much on screen at all. And I got a, a, a call that he wanted, that there was to go on tape. This is how long ago it was, Gabby. <laughs> it was 30 years ago. It was on a VHS, you know, you made VHS tapes in an office in Soho and sent them physically to Los Angeles in, a, in an envelope. Um, and then they would be watched. And I didn't think anybody watched them. It, I thought it went into just a big um, dumping ground. But Kevin Costner, to his eternal credit, watched my video and decided I w he wanted me to be in his movie. And it was just a sort of bizarre turnaround of events. I wasn't really sure who he was. I had no idea how powerful he was, that he was the producer and the director and 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 that you know there were people who you know if he called them they they would faint i was very pretentious young actress who wanted to be on stage in shakespeare and so when my agent said that he wanted to speak to me i was like i'm busy i've got you know i'm i'm busy you know <laughs> learning a sonnet or something and i talked to him in my own good time and then he said he wanted me to audition again and it was 15 quid to every time you taped a vhs tape and sent it off to america and um i couldn't see how doing another tape under the same circumstances was going to be any advance on what I'd done before. I was like, I've done a tape with nobody there talking to a wall. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm i going to spend 100 quid on trying to get, a, you know, an accent coach to improve my accent. I'll buy a new outfit. And then I won't do whatever it was you liked in the first tape. And I'll never hear from you again. So I was like, sorry, I'm not doing another tape. We need to move forward. And he's like, really is that really what you want to say I said yes that is what I want to say and he went well it was great talking to you and put the phone down and I, and um and my agent I said what do you say what do you say what do you say and I was like well I told him I wasn't going to do another tape and uh, fortunately and I don't recommend this course of action to any other young ambitious drama student uh he wanted the character who was bloody-minded and contrary and uh so he, I got the job he oh, flew me amazing. out to Los Angeles uh, sort of a couple of days later. And because also we were under the gun. They were under the gun. They were already shooting. They didn't have a leading lady. Uh, I went over, did an audition in his office for the executives at Warner Brother. And then I never came home. They flew me straight out to the <gasps> set. And I started filming. So it was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. Oh, time. my goodness. Um, and it was like the last days of the Roman Empire of filmmaking. You know, we were, they, it was a, a very high budget movie. There was, you know, we had catering. We, they sort of owned the, the town we were filming in, in, in Metaline Falls, Washington State. There were these great tents. It was like, it was like, it was like Henry V. There were these sort of tents as far as the eye could see for catering with Maine lobster being flown in. And, and this man who, I mean, I was, I'd worked in theater. They don't even pay for your bus fare. You take your own packed luncheon. They said, what do you want in your trailer? I just don't know. I was like, food, <laughs> uh, a meal. I, uh, I, 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 I I have a very good friend who was my stand-in, her job. Uh, they were, I had a stand-in. I had someone whose job was to stand there in the sort of beating sun while they set up the shot. And she became my best mate. And she caught me like scooping the entire plate of cookies from craft service <laughs> into my handbag. And she got hold of my hand. This is the same as, as being an addict for, you know, uh, social media. She got hold of my hand. She said, Olivia, 
the cookies will be here tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, but, but, but they're free. There's free food. Oh, that's I can't fantastic. leave it. Yeah. And that became a motto of our friendship. It was like, the cookies will be here tomorrow. That's a great line for life, actually, isn't yeah. it? Oh, my God. What? No. But that's I love the way you say that um, any other drama students, it doesn't often happen. But when it happens, I mean, that is the story. That's the story that every single person dreams of happening. Yeah, it was extraordinary. And it was very good fun. And on the flight out, because I was a very, very serious actress who wanted to do classical theatre, I thought, if I don't enjoy this, I'm an idiot. Just enjoy yourself. Do the take the direction. Don't argue with the director. Don't say my character wouldn't do that. When they tell you to do something, just do it. And I learned how to act on film from Kevin Costner because he was directing and acting and producing. So we would do a shot and he would take me by the hand and walk me round to the to the monitor. And none of this, you know, oh, I can't look at myself, I get so self-conscious watch what you just did. Now that's not working because of this, this and this. And I need you to turn your face towards this light and I need you to look over here. And I learned from a maestro and love him or hate him or like his acting. or like He's a really good actor and he knows about filmmaking and I learned from him. So he was a bit like my dream then? He was a bit like a dream. There's some other stuff which I, <laughs> which I won't share with the group, you know. Um, he, he, he was, he was, uh, you know, uh, there were the weekend, there were the family weekends and then there were the other weekends, but, but, um, he, he's a, he's a man I, I thank for my career to this day. Oh, wow. That's lovely. And then of course, Bruce Willis. I mean, <laughs> the, the awful thing about the sixth sense is that everybody knows the last line, even if they don't see the film. And I wish nobody knew that. It's a sort of, I know it's a strange thing to put, to put it as the mousetrap, but you don't want to know in the mousetrap that no, blah, blah, no. done it. Um, another another thing that social media ruins is is films with twisty yes, plot twists. Yes. And, and, you know, come back. The, I mean, that really, that was the very, very last film, I think, that was able to keep it secret because then social media killed the twist i agree with you i absolutely agree with you and i still so my kids who've never seen it know that end line and they'll quote it and but i I, and i've said to them you need to see that film it's just oh god it's brilliant it's one of those it's a classic isn't it it is it is a great film and it was interesting, again, lockdown, you know, we had movie night instead of it being once a week. It was every night yes. in our house. And and uh, I I was managed to be aware. I don't know how I managed to be aware. It must have been right at the end of the lockdown. I had some, oh, no, I had a hospital appointment in London. Um, so, and that was the night because my children don't like watching my movies, but my husband put on Sixth Sense when I wasn't there, which kind of seemed to make it okay. And the kids were, they were just wide eyed. They were like, oh my God, that was an amazing it film. Is. It um, really is. And it was, uh, it, it, to have been part of something, I think, I think there are sort of, uh, this is the sort of what I'm really proud of in, in my work is I think that I've been in films that, changed filmmaking um for for a while or had had a sort of, I think had lasting influence and that and that is something I'm 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 thankful that I've been part of of those things I think the sixth sense was one I think Rushmore was another oh god yes uh you know the very early Wes Anderson um when he was 20 he was 28 when we made Rushmore I was older than him and he was only 28 and uh it was it was such an aesthetic and such a uh, you know it was the sort of return of a, a kind of auteur driven um filmmaking which was so exciting uh, but can we go back to Bruce Willis though yeah. I do want to go back to Bruce Willis <laughs> I haven't had that same dream about Bruce Willis but he I met him wow it would be a big breakfast days and there was something I, I remember I think Chris Evans and I we both he was one of was very silly we both really blushed I remember us getting really sort of embarrassed it was the opening of Planet Hollywood and they were all there <laughs> opening it. And Chris and I just couldn't quite believe it. We were a bit sort of, ooh, ooh it's Bruce Willis. Ooh, it's Arnie. Um, was, but Bruce Willis, 
The thing that struck me was he was much smaller than I imagined, and you imagine him such a sort of big, large, looming figure. Oh, but they all are. I actually, except Kevin, I think that every all actors are shorter than you think they are, uh, and you know, as a five foot nine, some maybe five foot eight and a half now woman. Um, you know, that is a problem. I mean, I did <laughs> I did an episode of Friends and I was standing in a corridor and this group of tiny weeny people walked past. Um and they were and that was then that was the cast of Friends. And I was like, they're all tiny. They are very small. And uh, yeah, no, I've worked with some some people again, all the profound I mean Name an 80s sexy actor, and I've snogged him, I think, all in the line of duty, <laughs> oh. all for work, and they're all tiny. Tom Cruise? <laughs> uh, I haven't snogged him. I haven't snogged him. He's very small, though, isn't he? Yes, he's very small, but um, I, I was thinking uh, who is a phenomenal and massively underrated, serious, brilliant actor, Antonio Banderas. Oh. Um, and um, he is just what the best of men, funny and and uh, brilliant and an extraordinary mimic and a great musician and um but yeah um great actor very very small and his opening <laughs> line to me when i met him, we met when i'd been cast opposite him and he said hello olivia shorter than you thought right oh bless him <laughs> it was his opening line that's so cute so sweet they are actually they're all very everybody always asks me the only one that i remember interviewing that i thought was 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 it Will Smith? I thought, oh, now he's nice and tall. He's tall, yes. And Bill Murray, very Bill Murray, tall too. Okay, so you can—that's um, fine. Who I've I've worked with twice, so yeah. What's he like? Um, God, uh, that you know, it just depends. <laughs> it depends what day it is, what he's like. He's extraordinarily funny. He's completely unpredictable. He can be very dark. He can be the the brightest. Um, shining light and the darkest broodingest cloud uh, but he is brilliant and he takes his work again incredibly seriously um, you know he uh, when we were doing Rushmore he was preparing to play Polonius in the Ethan Hawke filmed Hamlet so you know um, and you can only go to the dark places that Herman Bloom in Rushmore goes to um, when you have access um to darkness and and then he played i was in a movie with him where he played um uh roosevelt franklin d roosevelt a man in a wheelchair who was profoundly disabled and managed to hide it from the world uh, and the american public i played ellen yes. roosevelt opposite him and um uh, and his understanding of disability and his profound political and sort of emotional love for FDR and what FDR did for his family and for America. Um, you know, it makes me all sort of warm and slushy about hoping that Biden can do the same um, for America now that uh, FDR did for it then. But anyway, yeah, uh, he, he he's tall <laughs> and he's an uh, extraordinary person. Could not be, again, described in 240 characters. I'm so pleased because that's exactly how I imagine him. He's one of the... He fascinates me. He absolutely fascinates me as a person. Everything I've read... I mean, he doesn't do a lot of interviews and I, and and that makes him even more intriguing let's let's talk about you and everything that you've gone through because you speak very openly about pancreatic cancer um it's a, a disease that nobody seems to talk about i've um interviewed a lot of people about it the charity about it um i've i know two people who had it and um it is I, it's so powerful when you read your story because you you are a survivor uh, it's a it's a disease that nobody talks about and if people do talk about it it still seems to be the cancer that people do in hushed tones years ago when i mean you and i are the same age and um when we were younger people would just say cancer you know they wouldn't say the whole the word out loud and now they do through breast cancer testicular cancer bowel cancer which which my dad had and survived thank god um so all of those parts of the body people talk about but pancreatic cancer, they don't. It's such a shocking cancer because it happens so quickly. And I think people don't talk about it because you don't talk about it if you have it because 95% of people who have it 
die within three months. Uh, the only reason I'm not dead is because I don't have a type of pancreatic cancer called adenocarcinoma. Um, and the survival rates haven't changed for 40 years. So I think the reason I think they don't talk about it is because their relative, usually their father, but sometimes their mother, will have died so quickly that they have PTSD. I think people who have been around people with pancreatic cancer, it's like they have been shot. It's so quick. And they've been shot you know, in the stomach, in the pancreas, and you're having to watch them die for, for a sort of bullet wound incredibly slowly. So you're watching them ever way over a matter of weeks and not a matter of months or a matter of years. And I think that people who that's happened to, if they are going to leave any money to anyone, they probably leave it to the hospice who eased this shocking time for them. And I don't want to take the money away from the hospices because thank God for them, they do an amazing job. But if you've lived with a cancer and had some sort of recovery or survival, um, that's when you get involved with the charity. That's when you give money to testicular cancer or breast cancer or cancer research. Um, but with pancreatic cancer, it, everyone's just bewildered. You're in shock. It happens so fast and it's and it's so uncompromising. And the doctors, even the doctors are participating in this, throwing your hands up in despair. I don't blame them for it because there is no research. There's nothing. And it's if, if you're a research student, if you're looking for a subject to research, why would you go into something where everybody says it's hopeless? Um, so we're in a really difficult position. You know, it, to, it's so nice to have a bit more time to talk about it, because what do we do as a charity, as their ambassador? If I tell it like it is, everyone goes, well, what's the point of researching it? They, it's just going to kill you anyway. And if, if I put a happy clappy face on it and go, let's all put on a silly hat and run to Brighton and raise money, um, you know, then nobody's hearing how serious it is. It's not funny and it's not a happy, clappy subject. And also what's awful if you tell it like it is, anybody who gets that diagnosis immediately goes into despair and says, I'm going to die. So I'm having to, as the ambassador for PC UK, be really careful of the people who've been diagnosed that we're not causing them further grief uh, because they have despair. And I've, but I've also got to press upon the nation the urgency of change and the urgency of donating so that we can improve the situation. So I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place and I don't know what to do. Yeah, I've got, I mean, what a place to be. You know, it's, it's uh, what, also your story about knowing for years that there was something wrong and n nobody could find it. And, but, but you, there was something in you that just said, you know, you listen to your gut, <laughs> ironic phrase, sorry, but, but just there's something wrong and we've got to do something about it. And it's just an extraordinary story. Well, Gabby, I wish I could claim that to be the case that I was sort of superhuman and super brave. I, I wasn't. I was just really lucky that I had the type of pancreatic cancer that didn't kill me because I... I went to the doctors and I did keep going back and I wasn't believed. But I also spent a lot of that four years trying to trying to convince myself that there was nothing wrong with me and um, the, to cope and to just keep going on. And I, I went and I had all the tests for bowel cancer and colon cancer. My dad had colon cancer and they did the test for those and they came up clear. And when they came up clear, I would go away and go, it's just my imagination. Yeah. And so I, I'm not a hero. I, the only thing is, is incredibly lucky that I had the type of pancreatic cancer that grows very, very slowly. But by the time I was diagnosed, I was dying of starvation. I was dying because nothing was staying. I would put something in one end and it would come out the other end in practically in the same form oh, it went my in. It, I was just dying of starvation. And there I I my, one of my darkest hours was sitting in this doctor's office and lovely nurse um with a sort of wonderful um, South American um, Catholic name like Concepcion. And she was trying to get 
blood out of a vein and she was so kind and and we just both sat there sort of laughing and crying saying we can't get anything out of here they you know i was so dehydrated i was so ill that they couldn't even take a blood test um so i you know it it it, it was undeniable that i was ill by that stage and that's the trouble is that by the time you are symptomatic undeniably symptomatic it's usually too late and what we have to do is find an early diagnosis this is the happy clappy yes, that yes. we have to find out what's wrong with you at a much earlier stage that's why you have to keep reporting if you're feeling ill and if your bowel movements are weird over a long period of time and ask people to check your pancreas unfortunately the only way to check your pancreas it's so hidden away nobody knows what it is nobody knows what it does and the only way to have a look at it is to have a ct scan you know if you've got a lump in your breast you can feel it and if it's really bad you can see it if you've got a lump in your testicles if you know these if you've got lung cancer you cough you know it yeah but with pancreatic cancer you just can't get at it and the only time you know it's like that Joni Mitchell song. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. Um, and you only find out that your pancreas isn't working when it's beyond repair. Do you know, when you tell this story, do you feel as if you're telling a story about somebody else? No. Because my dad says sometimes he does about yeah. his bowel cancer. It was a long time ago for dad. But um, but he says sometimes it's when he tells all the stories and then he had a stroke and he caught a superbug and all sorts. But when he tells the story, oh, when I tell the story, no, and he's he's in his 80s and he's doing well, thank you. But 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 even when I tell the story, I just think, oh, did, did, was, did that all happen? You know, it, it is... It, or are you... Because it's still very recent for you. Do you still believe that I think I'm a bit of an actor I'm you know I'm in the moment yes. you know I go I'm afraid I do kind of go back and relive it and um uh, I have to be a bit careful um but I do think that one of the only sort of um you know it's doing press and letting uh not not with you Gary because this is a lovely intimate podcast but but doing press in some newspapers is a deal with the devil and you have to um, protect yourself and your family of course. Uh, while also trying to put out there the work you're doing and the charity that you, and I'm, I'm trying to, something I'm really excited about is um, when I started working with pancreatic cancer, I went to an amazing man called John Holmes, who you may know, who produces a, a program on Radio 4 called The Skewer, which mashes voices and sounds to create a soundscape and have people talking to each other that you don't know are talking to each other, who never have spoken to each other. So you might have Donald Trump talking to Greta Thunberg in a, and he cobbles together a conversation between them. And he, um, I wrote to him on his website for his production company and I wrote, said these names, Pavarotti, Steve Jobs, um, one of the first women astronauts, um, uh, um, Alan Rickman, what do they all have in common? And it's that they've all died. Of, and I didn't tell him the answer. I just asked oh, that question. Wow. And he yes. wrote back, what, 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 what do they have in common? And I said, they all died of pancreatic cancer. Could you make a radio trailer, a kind of soundscape that had all these people talking to each other to us, talking to us from the grave, saying, do something. And he's done it. He's <gasps> made it. And I just listened to the first um, uh, uh, draft of it, the first, uh, his first run of it the other day. And it's such a powerful and exciting piece. And I just want to rewrite the way celebrity and creativity and charity could work together to not just go oh you know dial this number and donate money or i'm running to you know round round the block in a in a dressed as a as a, as a cat to raise money and or, or or saying these many people are dying it's so awful help me um but just to try and change the message of charity and raising money that's a brilliant idea my god i can't wait to hear that um 
it's so incredible talking to you about all of the ideas and the things you want to do because to me you're not um as you say you who's taking all the cookies that you're not somebody <laughs> who sits around and waits for things to happen have you ever been like that it's funny because as an actor I completely am you know there are actors- really yes there are actors I mean my husband he's this amazing man he writes um tv shows and movies and I've got friends who get who become producers and and you know like become executive producers and and then they are in a tv show and they direct episodes and I am just I sit by the phone and wait for it to ring and then when I'm you know I wait to to have a part in in something I don't generate my own work and I don't know why that is. People have come to me, why don't you direct? Why don't you produce? But I think it's just, I love acting. I yes. love, I, yeah. it's like when you're a teacher and you don't want to become the headmistress. I don't want to be the headmistress. I want to be um, on the ground actor. And that's that's what my passion is. So I am slightly lacking in agency when it comes to creating my own work. Let's talk about Call My Agent because, oh my God, I was addicted and now it's coming to the UK and you're a part of it. Yes. Uh, so the what's going to make the British version extraordinary and and very like respectfully and homage to the French version and make it a very British version is John Morton. He's, he's just so, so clever. And uh, he did W1A and um, 2012. And he's such a brilliant writer and he's so clever and he um he has done the British version so it is going to be the same plotting and the same framework as as the French one but with some very British elements thrown in which I think will make it funny and will make it part of our tradition and will make it different from the French one so so that you could watch it again and and kind of see the similarities but enjoy the differences uh, it's very funny and it's and it's uh and for anybody involved in my industry the observations are just sort of painfully accurate as W1A must have been for you and 2012 was for anyone involved in the Olympics. Oh my (laughs) goodness it's it's it is like going into work every day oh I can't wait to see it I was addicted to the French one I it was one of those ones that got us another of those things that got us through at the extraordinary um, lockdown time that we all that we all live through and so many things that you were in I mean I do it's very funny because uh, chatting to you I, I felt like I knew you you'd been in my house a lot <laughs> over lockdown <laughs> it is a strange it is a strange truth where you realize that you, I did sort of more stage and movies earlier but 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 the fact that cinema has come into our houses and I've done a bit more television the fact that you are actually hanging out with people in their rooms and another strange thing that happens is because I've done some movies that disappeared uh, but because people were getting desperate they kind of on earth they sort of rose from the grave uh, during lockdown and so some some work that I thought I'd got away with suddenly started <laughs> bubbling to the surface a bit a bit like a sort of body you thought you'd buried in the back garden and, and then suddenly the mower kind of hits a hits a, a, um, a you know an obstacle and it's a bone of something that uh, you thought was gone forever Anyway, it, you know, it's been it's been very strange. The phone calls I've had, uh, people going, "I saw that movie." I was like, "Yeah, yes, no, that is me." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. What you? The other thing about you that I I get now fr- from chatting to you is because we always ask everybody in this podcast, "What makes you belly laugh? What makes you really laugh?" So for you, what are the things that you you just lose it over? Absolute hysterical laughter. <laughs> My family around the dinner table when we're on a when we're on a roll <laughs> um we we got uh, over the lockdown we we were imagining the sort of I mean my children are teenagers now so it's all out there we were imagining porn version of social media 
<laughs> I don't. I don't know what, how rude this podcast. No, you can get. say what you want. <laughs> my daughter, my daughter came up with my favourite one was instant messy jizz, <laughs> as in instant messages. <laughs> <laughs> that is hysterical. <sighs> and then there was the obvious, you know, boob tube, and uh, I can't remember what other. But anyway, very. Very silly, but but she won with instant messages. Makes <laughs> me that wins. I have a really low lavatorial humor. I really thank God, you know, because of all my raising awareness about feces for pancreatic cancer. Fortunately, I have a lavatorial humor, so I don't. I, you know, I I was this this will um, uh, reveal all to the to the nation. I was trying to um, do aversion therapy for my addiction to chocolate because I shouldn't eat sugar anymore because of my poor old pancreas and um and the um aversion therapist was trying to talk about things that I won't eat and I pretty well eat everything I love all food and she was like there must be something and so when we went into the sort of hypnosis aversion therapy she was talking about about you know imagine that there is someone taking a shit on the chocolate (laughs) And I just spent the morning talking to Lorraine on her teleprogram about how we shouldn't be embarrassed or averse to our own feces. And I stopped the whole hypnotherapy. I was just like, this can't work for me. I'm telling the nation that we shouldn't have a taboo about poo. And now you're telling to try to put it back again. That to me, that that's a funny situation. Oh, my word. You see, you have to laugh at those times. You just have to laugh. And and I, I love yeah. the idea. I just get the feeling from you is that and obviously, you know, you say that you don't you don't take things. Um, you, you wait for the phone call to go. But I still imagine you being quite gung ho with a smile on your face. And at <laughs> that and from what you've just said, I think I might be right. So I think you're in denial. <laughs> I think you are more like that than you realise. <laughs> I'm very proactive. If there's something going on with the with the family, I'm you know if if somebody needs something doing, if someone says, "Can I do this or that?" Um, you know, I I yeah, I'm on it. Um, in like there a shot. we go. You see, yeah. I was right. Yeah, I was right. <laughs> you are right. Um, uh, Olivia, thank you so much. What a pleasure to speak Such to you. Such a pleasure. I, really, I just think you're fantastic. Thank and, you. Um, we will speak again, no doubt. I hope so, anyway. And good luck with all the things you're doing, the things I can't say, and all the things I can say. Thank you, and uh, thank you for giving me lots of airspace to uh, air oh, my always. eccentricities to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much to our exclusive sponsor of this episode. Go to simprove.com and use code GABBY15 at the checkout for 15% off their 12-week programme. Next week, I'm so excited because I get to chat to Carrie Hope Fletcher, actress, singer, author and vlogger. She's incredible. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth McCary. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thank you so much for your reviews. I promise that the team and I have read them all and we really are rather overwhelmed and they really mean the world to us. So thank you so much. If you kindly leave a review or a comment, that would be lovely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah.